Welcome to T.R. Price's Confident Conversations on Retirement. My name is Michael Davis, and I'm thrilled to be your host. I've spent my career working to help people build a durable retirement. And it's such an honor to do this work, and an even greater privilege to be with the retirement experts here with us today. These experts can help you feel more confident about your retirement, whether you're planning for retirement or already there. Today's episode focuses on money conversations and specifically having conversations about getting financial plans in place as we get older. I'm joined by T.R. Price experts and certified financial planners, Marty Allenbaugh and Jean Dunn. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Michael. Happy to be here. Michael, thank you. Great to have you guys here. So let's get right to it. According to T.R. Price's 11th Annual Parents, Kids, and Money Survey, 69% of parents of children aged 8 to 14 are reluctant to talk about money with their kids, and about the same percentage felt as comfortable talking about money as they were talking about death. Now, that is clearly a problem. (laughs) Uh, So as we get older, these conversations, as we know, don't get any easier, yet we all know that it's something that we need to do. Someone I know that is not afraid to have this conversation is Gene Dunn. So, Gene, what are the obstacles, or let's call them confidence killers, to starting a conversation about family money? You know, money is a taboo topic for many people for a lot of different reasons. The American Psychological Association states that money is the number one source of stress for Americans. You know, money can be an emotional topic. And when discussing finances and money with family, there's often conflicts. And so for many reasons, it can be easier to avoid the topic altogether. We all have unique attitudes and beliefs about money based on early childhood experiences. And what we find in our research on investors is that while some individuals are really open to talking to family members about money, there's a large group that values privacy. They're in some way reluctant to talk to family members about money, and this includes spouses. So, Gene, why don't you expand on that a little bit? So the consequences of not communicating with family members can be dire. For example, there was an individual that worked with a colleague of mine who unexpectedly passed away in his 40s. This was an individual who controlled all the finances, even you know the bank accounts, and had paperless statements. Essentially, all of his financial information was on his cell phone. His wife didn't have the password to his cell phone. Do you think the platform gave his wife the password? Of course not. So in one of the worst times of her life, she did not even have access to her bank account. So this is why it's so critically important for us to start having conversations now. Could not agree more. So Marty, when people are ready to uh, get their affairs in order, what do they want help with when they reach out? With my clients, the conversations normally go both ways. So my younger clients who have older parents are concerned about establishing power of attorney, financial problems, uh, concerns about their parents' vulnerability, decision-making. On the other side, with my older clients, they have concerns about getting their affairs in order, looking for guidance on how to have these critical family conversations, want to discuss trusts and other types of accounts. These clients want to make sure their assets enrich the lives of their loved ones and not get lost to credit seizure, divorce proceedings, or taxes. Mm. 
Texas, yes. <laughs> so obviously lots to navigate. But Gene, what's the payoff to having these conversations? I assume that there's got to be an equal benefit to pushing through this discomfort that a lot of people experience. Yes, exactly, Michael. All the things that Marty just talked about are important benefits. But I go back to that stat. Money is the number one source of stress for Americans. And our research with investors that have ongoing communications with family members, they actually report less stress and more ease around money and finances. And so even if you view these conversations with trepidation, Universally, we've heard from investors that have had conversations that it gives them a sense of peace. They feel relieved and happy that they've had these conversations. Mm, that's really great. So, so let's circle back to family dynamics, which is uh, uh, the stuff of legend <laughs> and many reality shows as well, of course, right? Why is it so hard to have these conversations? What is driving that discomfort? There's a lot of reasons why. I go back to the fact that we all have unique attitudes and beliefs about money. And what we found in our research is that individuals make the mistaken assumption that their partner, their parent, their sibling, their children have the same attitudes and beliefs that they do. And they just can't understand why another individual has a different point of view. But if you approach these conversations with an attitude of curiosity, you can start to understand the reasons why other individuals in your family may feel differently about financial choices than you do. And just to share a couple other differences that we've seen or, or challenges that we've seen from individuals, so oftentimes we see differences with generations. We hear from older generations, their attitude sometimes is, it's my money, I earned it. It's none of my adult children's business about my finances. There's another concern, especially with high net worth individuals. They don't want to necessarily talk to their adult children about their finances because they don't want to demotivate them. They want their children to become successful on their own. And there's also this issue of fairness. Fairness oftentimes is critically important when you're thinking about money and finances with your family. But a wise estate planning attorney once told me that fairness isn't necessarily equality. But when you have a complicated family situation and fairness isn't immediately apparent, oftentimes it's easier to avoid tackling the issue altogether. But we all know that this issue isn't going to go away. And if the older generation doesn't adequately make their wishes known, they could unintentionally cause conflicts for that next generation. Really, really thoughtful insight. And how do we approach starting those conversations? And Marty, I'll start with you, and then I'll go back to Gene. Key thing would be the first meeting should be focused on discussing shared values and goals, not financial numbers. So, for example, how accounts could be set up for education or for multiple generations. Another key issue, Michael, is for couples – Open communication is critical, and they must be in general agreement on these shared values and goals, not full agreement. Full agreement is very rare for couples to reach that point, and it could be a stumbling block to have a larger family conversation as well. So for couples, that open communication is critical first, have that general agreement on these shared values and goals, and then you start engaging with the kids. Great insight. Jean, do you have thoughts on that question? Yeah. One place to start is your family's vision. 
having a vision for your family connected to your finances is one of the single most biggest gifts that I think you can give to your entire family. It's important to recognize that your children can't read your mind. They don't necessarily understand the values that you hold with regards to finances and the reasons behind the financial decisions that you make. So creating a financial vision is a great way to communicate what's important to you, to your entire family. And I would urge everyone to think about writing your financial vision down for a couple reasons. One is the act of writing something down helps crystallize your thinking. And the second reason is because your financial vision will change over time because your circumstances change over time. And so if you're trying to think about how do you start with your financial vision, that can feel a little bit overwhelming. I would encourage you to consider these three questions. First, what's your financial vision for yourself? The second question, what's your financial vision for your family? And finally, what's your financial vision for your legacy? Those are all great insights. I love the idea of having a vision and being able to write that down. That's such important advice. I'm sure some myths about these conversations and uh, just misinformation that people may have about them. You know, what are some of those myths? I'll start with Jean and then I'll go to Marty. So a couple myths about the conversations is that you have to have one big conversation with your entire family all together in one room. Sometimes that feels untenable to families. So consider maybe having one conversation with one family member. If you're thinking about a family member, considering having them in the executor of your estate, for example, that would be a great place to start. Having these meetings online can be beneficial as well because they can be recorded. So you can have some free-flowing conversations and people can go back and take more detailed notes. So there's not a huge critical mass to have these meetings in person. And normally people are not together except during certain family traditions or during holidays, which could be a tough time to have these types of conversations. So I do agree with your point there. Michael, another myth is that these family goals are kind of set in stone by the parents and communicated to the kids, like Moses coming down from Mount Sinai with the big tablets. The adult children should also have input on setting these values and, and goals as they're going to be the ones who will be implementing these when my older clients pass away. So it's critical that it be an open communication and that those goals and values should change or be tweaked. I love that. And, and this idea of just being open and having great lines of communication. So the idea of that first conversation might be daunting for some audiences. And so what do you think would be good to accomplish out of that first conversation? Let's just kind of make it easier for people so they can really approach it in the right way. So I'll start with Gene and then move over to Marty. Michael, one thing I oftentimes hear from individuals is that they are trying to have a conversation with their parents who are getting older, but their parents are reluctant to talk to them about their finances. They value privacy, right? And, and that's okay. So what do you do in that situation? One suggestion is to model the behavior you're looking for with other family members. Perhaps you sit down with your parents and you start sharing with them your documents that you've accomplished. Maybe it's a healthcare directive. I think that's a great place to start because that isn't necessarily related to your finances 
but it's so critically important that other family members have access to. If you have a will or an estate plan, share that with family members. There's a couple different benefits, right? One is that other family members know where this information is, and that's so critically important. But perhaps secondarily, you're starting to break down those walls, and maybe other family members will follow suit and start to share the information with you as well. How about you, Marty? In that first conversation, I wouldn't really even talk about numbers. Not reaching complete consensus on all topics is also a very positive sign. I'd say probably a negative sign if you are in complete agreement after that first meeting. You may not have everyone fully engaged in that point. And if I could just add on to Marty's point, this was a huge misperception that we've seen in our research is that individuals think that a conversation about finances has to include numbers. And that's not the case. Again, the most important thing is that you can share the information that family members eventually will need so they know where to go to and how to find the information about your finances when they need it. That's such great advice. So what are some basics that people should know about their parents or their family's finances? This is a question that comes up a lot in terms of how much should you share with your kids and would really value your opinion on that question. So I'll start with Jean and then go to Marty. The first thing I would emphasize is your family records. So organizing your family records, your financial records, and what are those essential documents? It can be account numbers, usernames and passwords, personal, financial, medical, and emergency contact information. There's a whole list of things that you can provide to your family members, and you don't necessarily have to share the actual account balances or statements Your family members just need to know where to find that information. If you're using a financial professional, an accountant, and an attorney, make sure family members have their contact information. Even perhaps introduce your family members to those individuals. And oftentimes, those professionals can help facilitate conversations among family members. And that can be a real benefit to having an independent third party especially if emotions are high around this topic. How about you, Marty? Yeah, with power of attorney and eventual estate executor appointments, you may want to select one person to manage these important responsibilities, Michael. I've, I've managed estates, unfortunately for my clients, where all of the adult children plus the family accountant and the lawyer were, were all set as executors. So all of the estate paperwork required sign off by all of these individuals And the accountant legal fees generated by this decision kind of greatly diminish the family assets. So the example that Marty just spoke about goes back to that notion of the importance of fairness and the unintended consequences of that, right? (laughs) So again, recognize fairness isn't necessarily equality. A great example is a family with an individual with special needs, You're not going to treat that individual the same as all family members. And that makes sense. It's perfectly understandable. So it's important to recognize every family situation is different and every family member's situation is different. The last thing I want to talk about with regards to starting these conversations or or sharing information is a story that I love that came directly from an individual in our research around this topic. And every Valentine's Day, this individual wrote his partner a love letter. 
This is self-described by him, a love letter. What was in that love letter? Every single investment account and username and password. Think about your, your account numbers and usernames and passwords for your bills, your cable bills, your energy bills, and maybe even the people that work on your house. Maybe it's the pool person, all that different information. And he said, I write this love letter to my partner every year because things change. And when they actually have to read this letter, I don't want them to have to worry about any of these things included. I want to make sure they have it. And I wanted to ask him, I hope you put in some I love you's, and I'm sure he did. (laughs) But I think that sentiment is that this is a gift that you're giving to someone that you love is so important. I love that thought, and it takes a lot of the pressure off of just having to worry or stress about um, the not knowing. Uh, So I just think that's a beautiful thought and great sentiment. So we've talked a lot about couples, but what about people who are single? Who should they talk to about their finances? So, Michael, for someone who is single, either doesn't have a, a partner in that situation, it's very critical that they speak with a financial professional, tax advisor, accountant, probably an estate attorney, uh, right away, uh, and then start having those conversations with their family members as well. Also important that they select a power of attorney, someone who could step in and help this person when they're incapacitated. So they don't have a partner at that time to help them. So the power of attorney can really be important in that situation when someone is single. I agree with everything Marty said. In addition, I think the exercise of creating your will, determining who you're going to give your assets to, can be a great exercise for a single person. Not only is it an important step for everyone to do, but also it can help you identify, perhaps as a charitable organization, a family member, or a friend who's going to be a recipient of some of your assets. That could be a natural connection point. Eugene, another good point is to make sure after your will is updated to circle back to make sure your beneficiary designations on your accounts match that will. But a few client situations where beneficiary designations were not updated and assets did not follow the will in those accounts, but followed the designations set previously by the client. Not a good situation. So this has been such a great conversation. I feel like we've covered a lot of ground. I've certainly learned a lot. And Gene and Marty, can you summarize your key takeaways from today's discussion for our listeners? I'm sure they'd appreciate that. Yeah, Michael, I have two points. So just like charity, communication begins at home. So communication between couples is super critical. And second, this should be an ongoing family conversation model. So scheduling the next meeting as the final discussion item helps ensure that communication continues. How about you, Jean? Family members often have conflicts about money, often because of their different attitudes and beliefs. And that's okay. That's perfectly normal. But putting off conversations because of these conflicts can have unintended consequences for family members. Great thoughts. So uh, I think it, it would be great in the remaining time we have just to give our listeners sort of an action step, a step they can take to move this conversation down the, the road. So would love to just have any nuggets of insight that you would want to share with the audience. First thing, which I think is one of the easiest things, is starting to organize your family records. Maybe just start with that healthcare directive or perhaps a will or an estate plan. 
and use that document to start to have a conversation with another family member that you've perhaps been putting off. How about you, Marty? Michael, my recommendation would be to schedule that first meeting right away, getting something on the calendar, set to go, and then start putting together the shared values and goals prior to that meeting. So just getting started and, and having that first conversation is critical. Outstanding. Well, I think our time is up. Thanks so much for joining us today, Marty, Jean. You two were fantastic and gave terrific information for our audience. So it's been such a great discussion. Thank you, Michael. It's been so enjoyable. Thank you so much, Michael. This was a great conversation. Again, I'm Michael Davis, and I want to thank you for listening. Be sure to join us for our next episode as we discuss healthcare costs in retirement. If you like this podcast, please rate us and subscribe to wherever you get your podcasts. Until next time, be well, and I wish you all many confident tomorrows to come. T. Rowe Price, Retire with Confidence. This episode of Confident Conversations on Retirement is provided for general and educational purposes only and is not intended to provide legal, tax, or investment advice. This podcast does not provide recommendations concerning investments, investment strategies, or account types. It is not individualized to the needs of any specific investor and not intended to suggest any particular investment action is appropriate for you, nor is it intended to serve as a primary basis for investment decision-making. Investors will need to consider their own circumstances before making an investment decision. All investments involve risk, including possible loss of principal. The views contained herein are as of the date noted on the material and are subject to change without notice. These views may differ from those of other T. Rowe Price Group companies and or associates. This information is not intended to reflect a current or past recommendation, investment advice of any kind, or a solicitation of an offer to buy or sell any securities or investment services. The material has not been reviewed by any regulatory authority in any jurisdiction. The opinions and commentary provided do not take into account the investment objectives or financial situation of any particular investor or class of investor. Investors will need to consider their own circumstances before making an investment decision. Information and opinions presented have been obtained or derived from sources believed to be reliable and current. However, we cannot guarantee the source's accuracy or completeness. Copyright 2021 T. Rowe Price. All rights reserved. T. Rowe Price. Invest with confidence. Retire with confidence. The Bighorn Sheep Design and Confident Conversations, collectively and or apart, are trademarks of T. Rowe Price Group Incorporated. All rights reserved. T. Rowe Price Investment Services Incorporated. Distributor. T. Rowe Price Associates Incorporated. Investment Advisor.